Probably you have seen this commercial where it's a family in an ordinary living room. They're seated on sort of worn-out couches. The television is not plasma. It's not on the wall. It's just an old console TV or something like that. And uh, they're watching a video, and when it ends, they're all cheering, and the dad takes the video out of the VCR, he puts it up on the TV, and you see the sign on the video, it says, the day we won the lottery. You seen that commercial? And, and everybody's cheering, and then the camera pans back, and you realize, like a movie set, there's their old living room, and the one wall's cut out, but there's their old living room, the old couches, the old TV, and so forth. And as you pan back, it's all in this, in, in this big, huge mansion that they've built. You seen that commercial? It's kind of fun. Who wouldn't be happy if they came into lots of money, right? I mean, if you suddenly found out that some uncle you didn't know you had had left you millions of dollars, you'd probably shout for joy. We all have times of joy in our lives. It's probably not winning the lottery, but there are lots of seasons for joy in life. Um, The birth of a child is a season for joy. Uh, Three weeks from today, we're going to be celebrating in Pismo Beach. Our youngest son, Adam, is marrying his fiancée, Tracy, and we're going to have a great big time. People are coming from all across the country to be there, and we can't wait. It's going to be a time for joy, a great season of joy. Birthdays are occasions for joy. Uh, the end of school is an occasion for joy. Passing the test. There are lots of seasons for joy and reasons for joy in our lives. But life isn't always filled with joy, is it? There are other seasons. And this morning, I want to talk to you about joy in times of trouble. And to ask the question, is it reasonable to actually be joyful all the time? Now, next week, come back because we're going to Talk about joyful with a question mark. Are you full of joy? But this morning I want to talk more about what's it like to have joy and can you have joy in times of trouble? When life takes a downturn, can you still expect joy? And I want to talk with you about that today. So we're going to look at some truths for joys in tough times. And I hope you'll look in your worship folder and find this uh, sheet of paper and follow along with me uh, if you would. Now, there's a question we need to get out of the way today, and this question would be a great question to serve as a whole Bible study or sermon, but uh, I don't, we're not going down this road today, but uh, there is a question we need to get out of the way today. About 10 days ago, my grandsons and I got back from our camping trip, and the first day back here was a Thursday, and I've shared this with several people, but I don't know what happened. It felt like a dark cloud settled in my soul. It just was not a good day. Now, there's, and I thought, wow, and it kind of lingered. I just, you know, call it uh, discouragement or depression or a dark cloud. I mean, I don't know what it was, but it just didn't seem like such a great day and season. And when those times come, and they all come to us when we just don't seem to be on top of things anymore, when they come, a question to ask right off the bat is, is there sin in my life? Have I done something or am I doing something sinful? Now, I don't think it would be reasonable, if you're a follower of Jesus, and this past month you've broken five of the Ten Commandments, what do you think? Are you going to be a joyful person? I don't think so. Pretend with me for a minute that there was a mountain biker's Bible. Now, you know I like to go cycling, and if you go off on a trail on a mountain bike, pretend there's a book out there. I don't know of any such book, but pretend there's a book that tells you everything to do to make for the perfect ride. And so I go out there and I say, well, I've got the right bike, it fits, 
got the right clothes on. It's the right day. I'm on a good trail. And this bike explains, this uh, book explains, here's the way you should sit on the bike. Here's the right gear to be in when you're going up this kind of hill. Don't have too much weight on the handlebars so you don't end up flipping. Uh, it tells you everything to do. And you're riding along and you're out there doing it just right. Is that going to be a great ride? What do you think? Sure it is. You know, when everything seems to be clicking, whether you're on a mountain bike or living your life, you say, wow, life's great. It's just kind of going forward. And so an early question when we talk about um, joy in tough times, when you realize my joy's gone, I'm not joyful today, ask yourself, is there some sin in my life that I can identify? Because that's a good place to start. Because if there is, you need to correct the sin problem before you can really expect to have joy. And so I, I want to kind of get that out of the way right off. Uh, is it because of sin in my life that I've lost my joy? And that's a good question to ask right up front when we're thinking about joy in times of trouble. Now, let's suppose that the answer is no. And the other Thursday, I thought about this. I thought, well, you know, I, don't, I can't identify anything that I'm just doing wrong with, uh, with God's book. And so I don't think it's a sin problem. And nevertheless... I don't seem to have joy. What's going on? And so I had to wrestle with that. Now, let's assume that you check yourself out, and as best you can tell, you're living according to the Scriptures. You're living for God. But you still don't have that sense of joy. Maybe you're in a tough time. Last week, we talked about um, joy, and you helped put together a three-point outline from the book of Philippians. You remember what that was? Help me out again. What's the... Uh, first point if you're writing a three-point sermon from Philippians? Jesus, yeah. So we talked about, uh, you know, Jesus would be one point. What's the other point? Another one? Others, yeah. So you can fill that in. And I also mentioned your uh, environment, if I can spell it, your environment and uh, events can impact your joy. So When you think about joy, others certainly impact our joy. It's up or down. The environment and events, all of those have an impact on our joy. And then the other point was what? You. Yeah. And we talked about, uh, oftentimes in traditional churches, we said, you know, Jesus first, others second, you third. And I said, let's kind of lose that thinking, okay? Because life's just not like that. And we talk, we put the arrows in there to say life is really an interplay in all these things. And as we go through life and as we live for Jesus, as we interact with other people, as we live with ourselves, there's this interplay and uh, our joy may be up or down. Now, as you look at these areas of life, Jesus, others, events, the environment, and you, I think you can probably say which is going to give you the most trouble and be the greatest joy robber. Yeah, the you, no question about it. So as we think about losing our joy, uh, the most likely case, and joy, you can lose it because of these other things for sure. But the biggest problem we have in life is ourself, right? And we'll let, let's be upfront and honest about that. Now, in looking at the book of Philippians, we're going to go into the middle part of chapter 1 today, beginning with verse 12. And... The first thing to think about, or the first truth I want to lift up, just leaps off the page here. In tough times, remember this, tough times can birth good things. Tough times can birth good things. 
If you have your Bible, I encourage you uh, to look with me in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. If you don't have it with you, pull one out of the pew. It's on page 196. That's the in the back of the Bible. And verse 12 is this. I want you to know, in fact, this one translation is a little different than the one we have here. The one in your notes is this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually happened or served to advance the gospel. It's actually served to advance the gospel. And then there's another reference to Joseph in there that I'm not going to read. But Paul, as he writes from prison, says, you all know I got put in jail, but actually that has helped the good news go forward. Tough times can actually birth good things. How can this be? Think with me back through biblical history, just very quickly. Uh, I was making a list. Listen to the people who's are great people in the Bible. They're considered great, but their greatness was really born out of a difficult time. In the Bible, God grew some outstanding fruit from the season of suffering and struggle, and it may be true in your life as well. Tough times can give birth to something that's very good. For example, Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers and ended up in a foreign land. God used Joseph's dreams to bless all of Egypt and later to save a family and a nation. Joseph's dreams became the tool which God used out of his tough times. Moses was an adopted child, grew up as an outsider, a Hebrew among Egyptians. God used Moses' staff to lead his people into freedom and the, towards the promised land. Remember Gideon, the meek Gideon with his weird warriors. Gideon's pitchers and trumpets lifted a nation to victory. You all know the story of David and Goliath. David's sling and rock brought victory when he stood up against Goliath. And today, when we look at the letter of Philippians, Paul is writing from prison, and the truth is Paul's chains and prison birthed more than Paul could ever imagine when the door shut on him in that cell in Jerusalem for the first time. So, God can use your troubles to birth something good. I want you to get that planted in your head this morning. As you think about, if you were to say, here's a list of my troubles, God can use them to birth something good. Think with me in our own history of great presidents. George Washington and the Revolutionary War. Great, some of our greatest presidents served in the toughest of, of times. Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War. Franklin Roosevelt and Harry Truman's greatness was born out of World War II. And my point is simply that in the tough time right now, God can use that for great good in your life and in the lives of others. Now, a question to ask in a time of trouble is this. How can God use this current trouble for good and for the gospel? If you can identify, and it will be helpful to you if you do that, if you can identify and say, well, here's one area of trouble or here's a problem in my life, how can God use that very thing for good and for the gospel. If you look with me to Paul uh, in his problems, think about Paul's calling. You know, Paul, unfortunately, of course, didn't read Rick Warren's book, but he still knew his purpose in life. And his purpose in life was to preach the gospel, especially in places it had never been preached, to start churches. And he did that throughout the Roman Empire. After having done that, he went back and visited those churches, and he wanted to even expand and go on maybe to Rome and Spain, and he had all these great plans about his future, right? Paul never lacked for plans and a next step. And then he went to Jerusalem, to his home base, 
And he decided to go to church or to, to the temple there and to worship in Jerusalem. And you remember the story. He got in trouble there and was put in prison. And when the door shut on that prison in Jerusalem, Paul must have felt those first days like, oh, my goodness, I can't go to Rome. I'm not going to be able to go on to Spain. I can't preach the gospel and visit churches anymore. It looked like, from a human perspective, it was a very bad turn for Paul. And in one sense, it was. Prison's not a good place to go. However, if you think with me about it, and I don't, I personally don't think, and I have no way to know what Paul thought, but I personally think when Paul first was put in prison, he had no way of knowing the following would happen. But after having been there for about two years, and as he writes in this letter and elsewhere, here are several things that grew out of his stay in prison that could not have happened otherwise. First of all, in this passage, he mentions in uh, verse 13, he says that uh, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard or the praetorian guard was the elite Roman guards, highly trained, most skilled. Some of these guys were told to guard Paul. They worked four-hour shifts. So every four hours, a new guard went in and either was chained to or sat with Paul. What do you think they talked about? The Lakers? The Dodgers? He might have started there, but he got over that pretty quickly. Can you imagine being with Paul for four hours in jail? (laughs) And Paul says, you know, all the guards, these elite guards, have now heard about Christ. Now, had Paul continued on his plans outside of prison, would he have ever preached to those guys? Not likely. Some of them actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. So as he looks at it from the standpoint of God and the gospel, not from his personal agenda now, but from the gospel standpoint, he says, can you believe it? These elite, you know, we would call them SEALs, Navy SEALs and the Marines. What are they? The Green Berets, you know. He says, can you believe it? I've talked to all these major warriors and told them about Jesus. So that's one benefit of being in prison or one good that's come out of it. Secondly, he says that all the Roman officials have heard the gospel, because as you know, and it's recorded in Acts, he spoke to King Agrippa, and other governors and people of prominence would say, well, why is this guy in prison? And as he went through the Roman judicial system, and as he was in court, Paul didn't argue about injustice and so forth. What did he talk about? He said, I'm in prison because of who? Jesus. And so in court, he'd give his testimony. He gave it before King Agrippa and before Festus. So he says, not only have the guards heard about Jesus, but everywhere I go in the Roman judicial system, I tell everybody about Jesus. Do you think Paul would have been able to preach to King Agrippa and and Festus and or Felix and these other officials in Rome had he not been in prison? It's not likely. And so he sees good coming out of this thing that was trouble in his life. And not only that, in verse 14... Paul says, and and I'm not quite sure how this worked, but because he was in prison, other Christians became more bold in their proclamation of Christ. Listen to verse 14. He says, Most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. So, The point is this, in times of trouble, you can have joy. It depends on your perspective, not on your problem. And your perspective needs to be a God perspective. How can this event in my life be for good and the gospel? And if you'll ask that question, 
I think you can come at answers and even with Paul say, I can rejoice in this. So uh, that's the first point, that in times of trouble, they can actually give birth to something good in our lives. And there are lots of examples. Let me share two. Uh, John Bunyan was a Baptist preacher about 300 and some years ago. And it wasn't a good time to be a Baptist in England because it was an Anglican place. And not only that, John did not have a license to preach. I'm not quite sure what all that meant, but he didn't have a license to preach, so he got in trouble, and he was told by the officials, don't preach, you're not licensed. He also wasn't Anglican. So much so that he ended up in a prison in Bedford, England. And he actually spent about 12 years of his life in that prison. He would preach from the prison, and people by the hundreds would come every day to hear him preach. John Bunyan in prison, preaching, and the word would go out, and people would gather around the prison to listen. Well, you can imagine how the officials liked that. And so they decided that even though they told him not to preach and he was preaching from prison, they decided, we'll put him so deep in the prison nobody can hear him. And so they did. What did John Bunyan do? He began to write. You might have heard the book, Pilgrim's Progress. Printed 300 years ago, still printed today, translated into all the languages around the world, sold millions and millions of copies. The question comes up, had he not been put way back in that dungeon, would he have ever written the book? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying that you need to have a perspective that as followers of Jesus, good things can be birthed out of our troubles and out of our trials. And it was so with uh, all these examples. One last example. Sarah's worshiping with us today. And Sarah, I was thinking about you, that uh, for the past year and a half, she's been up at Camellia Gardens convalescing after some illness and some physical problems. Now, I know Sarah would rather be here with us and at home in her apartment than up at Camellia Gardens, but what do you think she did while she was up there? Those of us who visited, she'd often say, well, uh, here's this person who works on the staff, and I've been reading the Bible to them, or I've been praying with them, I've been telling them about Jesus. Now, I know for sure, had Sarah stayed here, which would she'd prefer, she wouldn't have been witnessing to the people up there. And so, again, I'm just saying that if we have the perspective of Paul in Philippians 1, he says, you know, this has happened to me, but even though it's happened to me, beloved, it has uh, actually helped spread the gospel. And so Paul can rejoice. So I want to encourage you today that the truth is that in tough times, they can actually birth good things. Now, one other truth that I want to emphasize, and we're not going to spend much time here, but um, what not to do. When you're having a tough time, you can make a long list of things of not to do. I've just got four that I want to share with you, but uh, in... in fl- Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, I think it is, Paul is talking about some of the negativity going on around him. And then he says, uh, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul found something good, even in a negative situation, that we're not going to go into in depth here, but uh, others, some were very glad Paul was in prison. But he didn't run down the rabbit trail of, of moaning about, first of all, the fact he was in prison illegally. He was, it was an unjust charge. Secondly, there were other Christians who took advantage of him being in prison, but Paul didn't dwell on that. So let me give you four things, what not to do when times of trouble come. First of all, don't blame someone or something else. Don't play the blame game. Just don't go down that road. I know a lot of people do. I know some of us have been taught to do that, but just Paul didn't do it. Uh, you might take his lead. 
Secondly, don't ignore it. We're not saying if you're having tough times that you try to shine them off and say, well, they're not really happening, or just ignore them. Don't ignore them either. Uh, Also, don't overreact to it through counselors, through friends. Get the proper perspective on what your tough time is. And uh, fourthly, don't underestimate it. Find some sense of balance as you go through the tough time. So those are things that uh, we should not be doing in tough times. Now, I want to wrap up this morning by uh, one last truth, and I'm going to put it a couple different ways. As you think about trouble in your life, and if you could identify some good, some things that really give you grief or that are problematic right now, here's the question. Are you on top of them, or are they on top of you? Which is it? And so the truth is, live on top of your troubles. Uh, let's read this verse together. We're going to put it up on the screen. It's from Philippians 1:18, the second half of the verse. Now, Paul has been talking about, let me just give a brief context. He's been talking about people. These are not heretics. They weren't unbelievers. They apparently were Christians who followed Jesus, but they disagreed strongly with Paul. And in some sense, they were glad he was in prison, glad that sort of he'd been shut up in some sense. And there's this tension. And rather than giving us a lot of information about those who are against him, Paul doesn't do that. He says, you know, even though I don't agree with what they're doing in some ways and their motives, I think, are wrong, and I disagree profoundly, there might have been some ethical issues there, Paul didn't center on that. He said, well, at least Christ is preached. And then he writes these words. Let's read them together. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What a great scripture. Now, I want to look at a couple of things that Paul realized he had going for him, and you do too. What are the two things Paul mentions in verse 20? Uh, these are, this is a, a great verse. First of all, he says, um, let me back up to verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers, the church is praying for him. So in your times of trouble... You need to rely on the fact, folks are praying for me. And if you don't share that with them, then they're not going to pray with you. But I mentioned to several people uh, ten days ago, I said, you know, I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I'm not where I want to be, and I can sense it in my soul. And we prayed together. And so Paul takes courage in prison. Folks are praying for me, and that's going to make a difference. The second thing, he says, is something that we all have. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And in verse 19, Paul says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. And so not only are people praying, but he says, God's Spirit's at work here, and good is going to come from that. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're really struggling, get folks to pray with you and for you. And recognize the Holy Spirit is in you for good in your life. God is working for good. In fact, that's one of the key verses in Philippians. Now, as we wrap it up, verse 20 and 21 are just uh, solid gold verses. 
He said, it's my eager expectation. Remember last week we talked about joy talk, the words we use and how they impact our joy, whether we have it or whether we don't. Look at the joyful words Paul uses from prison. Verse 20, it's my eager expectation. That's a great word. And hope that I will not be put to shame. Now, there are two words I want to emphasize here. One is shame and the other is boldness or courage. Paul says, I hope not to be put to shame in any way, but by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will become exalted in my body. And what is he saying? He's saying, you know, as I have opportunity, as I'm with the guards, as I'm with the officials, as I'm in court, help me not to be ashamed. You never thought of Paul that way, did you? That Paul might be ashamed or intimidated? And he's saying, help me in the situations I'm in not to be intimidated, but to speak with courage for Christ. I was reading uh, an interview by uh, Maya Angelou, the great American poet, after the uh, violence in Virginia. And Maya Angelou was talking about what Americans needed to do, and she said, Americans need courage. We need courage at this time. That's such a great word. And when you're in the midst of trouble, you need courage. From the prayers of people, from the Spirit, you need courage. And Paul says, pray that I have this courage. And then to wrap it all up, he says, finally, and, and this is what's interesting. Paul could have complained about the lack of support from uh, all kinds of people. He could have complained about the injustice being done to him. There's also avenues he could go down. But as Paul saw it, he was a winner. Because what does he say in verse 21? If I go through trial and they determine to cut my head off, what happens? I get to see Christ! I mean, that's what he says. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What happens if he gets set free? He says, then I get to see you, Philippians, and serve you. And so either way, as Paul thought about it, he couldn't lose. He couldn't lose. Isn't that an amazing perspective? And this morning I want to want to challenge you. Uh, how can God, as you think about your troubles, how can God use your current trouble for good in your life, for good for the gospel? That's the question to focus on. I want to conclude with, uh, with a story. And... Uh, you may have heard this in a variety of contexts. Michael Josephson used, used this on his uh, Character Counts Ethics statements recently on the radio. He didn't write this, but uh, I'm taking his version of it. It goes something like this. A man and his companion lost their way in the forest. The companion despaired, but the man said, maybe some good will come of this. They came upon a stranger who needed the man's help. The stranger turned out to be a prince who gave the man a beautiful horse. His neighbors praised his good luck and said, How blessed you are to have such a magnificent animal. The man replied, Who's to say whether this is a blessing or a curse? The next day the horse ran away. And the neighbors said, How horrible that you were cursed with the loss of your horse. The man replied, Who's to say whether this is a curse or a blessing? Perhaps some good will come of it. The next day, the horse returned, leading five wild horses. You were right, his neighbors exclaimed. The curse was a blessing in disguise. Now you're blessed with six horses. The man replied, perhaps, but who's to say whether this is a blessing or a curse? The next day... His only son tried to ride one of the wild horses. His boy was thrown to the ground and broke his leg. 
the neighbors said, how wise you are. Your blessing really was a curse. The man replied, there may be good yet. Who's to say whether this is a curse or a blessing? The next day, soldiers came through the village and took every able-bodied boy to fight in the war where it would be that they would almost certainly be killed. Because the man's son was injured, he was the only boy not taken. How blessed you are to have your son, the neighbor said. The man replied, who's to say? I don't know whether there is a curse in every blessing, but I'm sure there is a blessing in every curse. Paul writes these words. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has happened and actually helped to advance the kingdom. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 